in the Grotto Pod. I am in the Grotto Pod. Bridget Quinn is in the Grotto Pod. You know what else is in the Grotto Pod? Equipment that is functioning, which wasn't the case 10 minutes ago. You know who is the salvation of many a career here at the Grotto. We have joined lots of Grotto people now and saying we owe it all to... Ethan Waters. Yep, Ethan I, came I walked in and pressed in, a button. Like, with my notebook, like, hanging dejectedly by my side, and I was like, do you know anything about the podcast equipment? And he goes, no, but I know to push a bunch of buttons. Yep, he just started pushing buttons till one works, so thank you. I know. Ethan, yay, thanks. <clears throat> because of Ethan Waters, we can record a podcast today and with our guest and friend... And producer. And producer, Lori Ann Doyle, author of the recently released book of short stories, World Gone Missing. And I just need to say this, even though I know I might get in trouble. I'm not a super short story person. Yeah. Is that a bad thing to say? I think there's worse things people have said. So of all the genres, that's the one I find it hardest to kind of get drawn into. Uh, And I really got sucked into her book. I did. Well, let's, you know, I could debate you right now, but let's save it for when Lori gets here. But let me just say, I'm a huge fan of short stories. Please do not say this in front of Lori. And in fact, reading... No, she'll be, you know, she'll be fine. I know, totally. Reading uh, this book, I'm actually only halfway through, but it reminded me how much I like short stories. And it reminded me, and it actually made me think like, what am I doing trying to write a novel? I'm not a novelist. I'm a short story writer. I should just write short stories. I have to say that was a revelation to me when I started writing essays. I love essays and I love to read them. And it's a manageable thing. It is. It's manageable and it's great too because if you read in bed like I often do, Mm -hmm. you can just, you know, I'm just going to read a short story. Boom, done, bed. But you know what it was like reading her book? For me, it was a little bit like Netflix where I'd get to the end of one and I'd think, okay, now I'm going to get up and <laughs> Your like, clean the kitchen. Your next short story will start in nine seconds. I know, but I'd be like, I'm just going to peek at this next one. And the cool thing about this collection is there is a thematic unity, even though there's not repeating characters, there's not... Yes. And there's some real deep subtext in some of them, which is yeah. really cool. I really, really enjoyed it. Me too. I really am enjoying it because I'm not That's done it. yet. I, I uh, envy me, you. Uh, let me give you, <laughs> give you some of uh, Lori's uh, bona fides. Yeah. She is a Pushcart Prize nominee. She is winner of the Alligator Juniper National Fiction Award. She has published in the LA Review, the Jabberwocky Review, or Jabberwock Review, sorry. Dogwood Journal, Under the Sun. She teaches at the UC Berkeley Extension. That's writing she teaches. But I'll bet she could teach something else, and I'll get to that in a sec. Okay. Uh, Also teaches at the Grotto. Yeah. This place that we're sitting in right now. Yep. Uh, She is the founder of the Babylon Salon Literary Performance Series. I've gone to a few, and they are pretty fun. They're good. That is a very well-curated reading series. Yeah, she gets some names, man. Mm -hmm. She gets some big names there. How do you? How do you do that? Like, we have the grotto behind us in a way. Like, how yeah. do you just, just say... Just show up and say, hi, I'm doing a... You know, I had always heard, uh, you know Arlene Klatt? Yes, I do. So I met her in an unusual way. She so was did a I. real estate agent. Oh. And I, as you may know, was the real estate writer and columnist for the oh. San Francisco Examiner. Was she Pardon sucking me. up to you? She was sucking up to me. I'm surprised. I don't think Arlene sucks up to a lot of people. It probably wasn't. It was a subtle suck up. But She's kind of cool. I took the opportunity to suck up to her. Yes, I would imagine you would because of Porchlight. Yes. yes. Because of Porchlight. Uh, and she said. Should we explain what that is? If you don't know what Porchlight is, it's a, it's a spoken word series, not a reading series. You no, don't it's actually like, read. It's like storytelling. It's like the moth. Yeah, story it's like the moth. It's usually pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, we it's went fun. To, we went to one where, shoot, I can't remember the guy's name. He's one of the, um, 
one of the hot, wet American summer, Michael something or other. Anyways, he, he said to my wife, can you please move? So that was a little brush oh, with greatness there. Yeah. yeah. She was standing in front of him. Anyway, uh, Arlene said, who's the guy who writes about <laughs> S&M? The auto oh. guy, Stephen? Elliot. Stephen Elliot? Is that his name? Uh not so. Anyway, she said... Or is that, is that the musician? Who's the musician? It's the same name. Okay. Yeah, cool. so, <laughs> so just to make a long story longer, uh, Arlene said, you know, he just shows up to everything. That's how people got to know him. This is a while ago. Okay, I just need to say yeah. that is the best advice. You show up. Show up. And I have to say this. I'm saying this to all the young people who have come to me in the past year for some oh, quasi-mentoring. I know, it's pretty funny. Um, because I was a teacher, so I have relationships with a lot of young people, but also I just like them. And I try to say yes to everyone I can. You know, send me your line. You, know, you never know. Mm-hmm. But uh, it has been quite interesting to me that that is advice I have given to every one of these young people that I've met. Yeah, I've said, you know, take it? Every single one of them has told me why they can't do that and why they don't want to. Really? And I've been like, but Besides, I but okay... Besides either I work nights or I have crippling social anxiety, what are the reasons? Those are two reasons, yeah. but also I don't want to be a suck-up or mm. I hate, well, I or I hate I that part. It's not about being a suck-up. It's about enjoying the literary life. Let me tell you something. Like, that's the part I don't get. Like This is great. It's great to go it to is, things. It is, but you may have noticed that I have only recently begun showing up at things. And the reason why, I don't show up with that much, but I, I always I mean to. I see you around a lot. That's why but I'm But only since starting this oh, podcast, because oh. now I feel like I have something. You have a stake. Right. Yeah. And I feel like, what do you do? Well, I do the grotto call. Oh, I not see. Not like, what do you do? I, you know, I'm trying to write a little bit on the side. No. Here's the thing. When I lived... Oh, I'm sorry. Did I just interrupt you? No, no. You? Go ahead. I, that do that a, I do that a no, lot. Um when I was a graduate student and had no money and lived in New York City, my mother for my birthday several years in a row gave me a ticket to the 92nd Street Y reading series. Mm. And I saw freaking amazing people. I saw Henry Miller. I saw Philip Roth. I saw <laughs> Ken Kesey. I mean, I saw so many incredible writers and artists and poets. Um, and my point is I had no stake. I was mm-hmm. nobody. But a couple of times, like once I sat next to Wallace Shawn, Really? Yep. One time I was in the foyer with Henry Miller. I, it's not that they knew who I was or any of that, but it was just, it was exciting. It was exciting to be part of the living literary yeah, life yeah. of New York. I see it. It gets kind of inspiration. It's like yeah, going to see a exactly. band going to play music. Exactly, exactly. Well, we need to get Lori, though. Oh, There's we one more thing I want to point though, because... Um, <laughs> I'd mentioned that Lori could teach something else. Oh, yes. Because Lori had another career before she became a writer. She had a full and I career. Hear about that decision. Yeah. You know? In and the middle of that, she was she worked at Kaiser Permanente. Um, I'll let her say, I, it wasn't marketing. I forget what it was. Because she does have like, a master's in public health. So that's what I was going to say is, yeah. how is it with someone She's like Lori? Like, there's no possible way she just didn't write for all those years right. and then came out with these stories. There is exactly. no way. Exactly. Um, um, she does have an MFA from USF. Which is pretty damn good. And a lot of uh, uh, initials. But she got yeah. that in 2007. So right about then was when she changed her career. But rather than speculate. Yes, let's just let's ask. Just go let's get go to the source. So I'm we'll going. come back in a sec with. It's hot Lori in here already, Donna. by the way. Yeah. Okay, we're back with Lorianne Doyle. That's my radio announcer I liked voice. it. You? you know what's so funny is we've already been in here chatting for so long. I know, it's 23 minutes past the hour. Lori, welcome. And the traffic chime. sucks. We need a chime. Yeah. <laughs> Let's take it to traffic. Uh, Lori, welcome. Thank you. 
we, before you got here, were really, I don't want to say waxing eloquent because we're not eloquent, but we could not. Oh, waxing geeky. We were fighting each other to praise your book of oh short stories goodness. more. It is fantastic. I'm oh, only halfway through, but I got to tell you, you something. I'm going to admit something that might cost me some dude points, but. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm hanging on every word. Yes, let's the, get the counter um, out. <laughs> the story about the funeral director. Oh, I love that one. I have I got to say, it got a little dusty in the room at the end for me. Yeah. It was really moving. That flash really forward moving. was a big That's risk what it was. It's so. But I thought, I really want to do a flash forward. I, got I actually love forward. the flash forward, not just in that story, but yeah, in general. I think love it, it was just jarring enough, you know, and you're happy. I mean, if you're not a super sophisticated reader, which I'm not, you want to know how things turned out. Yeah, I that's actually. So here's my confession. Gratipod listeners already know I'm not that into short stories. Uh-huh. She said that in the end. I know. And I, I know that makes me sound terrible. And that's one of the reasons. You have, you're not, you're not there's alone. a lot of company. But one of room. the reasons I, I realize is that uh, short stories often don't have a lot of resolution. And I mm-hmm. like resolution mm-hmm. and I like to know what happened. And I feel like I want the rest. I want the whole novel. When I'm reading that a short story, I'm like, such I a want- riot. You're saying that because, yeah, tell me. I submitted to a, you know, I submitted to a lot of small presses, and one, the one that charged the most and took the longest never responded. Oh. And then I emailed them and I said, you know, I haven't heard from you. It's been a year and a half. I That's so disgusting. I'm sorry, disgusting. But then he wrote back. I will not say what the press is. No, he wrote shouldn't. back and he said. Uh, Actually, I just got some feedback, and so they farmed it out to another reader who said, none of these stories have any resolution. And I was kind of like, really? I mean, what are you looking for? Well, they're looking for what I was saying, which is to know, well, I don't really want the bow, but one of the reasons why maybe we both well, mentioned here I am is so knowing where the where the character is going after that mm-hmm. um, and if you can't hang with that you shouldn't be reading short stories for acquisition that's crazy yeah. that's how short stories tend to be but I was telling Larry I my money back I know that's crazy <laughs> that's crazy um, but I was telling Larry that I was so into I mean I, I, I was going to read them and I expected to like a few kind of thing but I was reading them in that way on Netflix where you are thinking I'm going to get up now and do the dishes I'm going to get up now oh and do whatever goodness. but I think I'm just going to peek at the next story and then I get sucked into that one. Oh my next goodness. short story begins in 8 seconds right <laughs> and the other thing about short stories is I often fall in love with characters and then I'm sad to have to start over with mm-hmm. a new story but mm-hmm. it's hard for a writer too but yeah. the, but I didn't feel that way with your oh, collection wow. I just wow. really enjoyed it well so that brings up an interesting point because as I, I like short stories and re- and actually reading your book I said in the intro I was like I, why am I trying to write a novel this is what I do this is so comfortable reading these it reminded me it was like watching a band when I was 21 going mm. I should be but yeah. um but I do. I flirted with the idea of writing a bunch of stories about the same characters, right? You know, not even related, just a bunch. And I've come back to a bunch of different people. But I, you didn't do that. But it seems like we both sort of agree that you wrote a bunch of short stories about the same themes. Yeah. So I, I have yeah. a question about that. So. Um, because when I finished it, I thought, so did Lori have a bunch of stories? And she realized, oh, these thematically have to do with loss or have to do with mm. leaving, leave-taking. Or was it something you were working toward? I mean, did you realize it after the fact or while you were writing them? 
Um, you know, I'm the kind of writer who wants everything to be top down. I want to like figure it all out. I want to have my plan. You know, I worked many years in healthcare and I wrote position papers, so I had my little outline. And my experience of creating writing is exactly the opposite. It, oh, it's like it emerges. Mm-hmm. It emerges from the waters of what you're writing, and so. You know, I had I had a plan that all the stories would be about characters who were forty nine, you know, about to turn fifty. What? And there are a lot of no, but there I switched. You know, I went through a major rewrite because I it just wasn't working. Again, it was like oh, I was overlaying this kind of um, superstructure and. What I realized, and it's interesting, after I've re- after the book's been finished, it's just been about a year now. Um, I realized that there's something weird about life that you don't really perceive fully perceive a person until they disappear. Oh my God! Ooh, yeah, you know, like you're you're up close with them. You're looking at the pores in their nose. You're mm-hmm. looking at whatever you know. My age, <laughs> same. They disappear or are gone. Well, that's a really interesting question because all of. Uh, let me think about these. A lot of these characters, the major character goes permanently. Yeah. And my my goal with actually getting back to the ending was that you, I want the reader to be able to visualize or imagine what life will be like after that. And if I've done that, I don't want to, then that's enough resolution. It's like, okay, we've done with this phase, now we have another phase coming. Mm-hmm. But there's a phase ahead. The work-through phase. Yeah, or, or, or whatever. Yeah, I mean, the guy, you know, well, I, I shouldn't talk about this. because I know, it's hard. Story. It's a little hard. I know. Yeah. Um, but, well, I guess we could say... Um, in the story Here I Am, it's a love story. And I right. had to decide, you know, what happens with the love. And so it has a happy ending. Let me ask you about Although that because... Although I feel like there's a shadow there always. Oh, for mm. sure. I, I, I don't I, think I answered your question. I though. wondered in that story, though, because it is about an undertaker, did you have to do research? Um, I was wondering, I wrote it down, research. Um, <laughs> is it like writing a novel where one has to interview people? and Again, it's like with my business background, of course I was researching. I was researching all over the map, but then I started doing less research. Mm-hmm. That particular story was based on a character, and actually Hate Man, too, is based on a character that I just became completely enamored of. There is this wild, wild... Oh, a uh, real person. Uh-huh. Oh. Real, uh, un- wild undertaker in Brooklyn. <laughs> And so purple nail polish. Yeah, and I but I gave her a whole life in, and they mention actually in the profile that she had buried two boyfriends, and I thought, wow, what would it be to be the undertaker for your boyfriend? And what could be more? She was divorced. I mean, she had had been married, but you know, this is the truth. And um, I just thought, and to also be invited to do that. I mean, all of exactly those, those issues, and so I just imagined some boyfriends for her. <laughs> I thought I'll tell the story about the boyfriends. It wouldn't be surprising to be find an undertaker who's a little shaky about committing to relationships. Huh. Mm-hmm. It seems like that would be almost part of the job. Yeah. Well, this woman was very, you know, you could read in, in the New York Times, she was very wild and 
and it, and I I did do a lot of research on Undertakers, and it's pretty interesting. Actually, it's very interesting I'll little bet. world. It's its own world, but they evidently tend to be more flamboyant and tend to be kind of more out there. I think to counter so interesting right. because I guess the one thought I had while reading the story was I wonder how it is who families who come to her are they put off by her flamboyantness, but yeah, maybe not. Like what's appropriate in that Yes, I think some really like it. Yeah. yeah. Some really like it. You know, she's sort of the Broadway show of, right. of Undertakers. People kind of want that. Uh, it is a kind of theatrical event, a funeral. Do you think it would work in Peoria? <laughs> I'll bet it, I, I I'll bet it, it would, does. Yep. But I think there are people who are going to want, you know, more zen, you know, kind of blissful, whatever, quiet. You could hear yeah. water, you know, Water, the waterfall running. But the idea of having a giant Halloween party in a funeral home seems very San Francisco. I know. It, I can't believe it was in Brooklyn because, well, I guess I can. It's Brooklyn. Yeah. yeah. Because it seemed like such the perfect San Francisco story. Yeah. And she's written a memoir. So it's oh, not really? like she, yeah. So, but she's, I'm not going to say who it is, but it's just. You need to contact her. These, this is a great, I think this is a great way to go is to think about real people that you are just completely can't get out of your mind and then and then write the story that hasn't been written about them mm-hmm. mm, that's beautiful you know, make it up you know make it up obviously yeah. i mean i had no idea who her boyfriends were i had no idea who hate man's daughter was i knew he had it he actually has two daughters he he has lots of changed he's since passed away <sighs> i love that these are real stories that well, they you all reimagined have, they all have some germ yeah, at their core, there's truth, which I think is true of a lot of. Mm-hmm. I don't care any someone who tells you, "Oh, I just made it completely up." I no way. I would question it. Yes, yeah, no it's way. Probably about themselves. <laughs> it's always about themselves. <laughs> well, that's heavy waste approach. <laughs> um, I want to talk a little bit. Uh, this is an interesting interview for us because we know you. Right. And because you it's kind are of cool a for me because yeah. I feel so relaxed. And, and yeah. What, but now, as I was trying to research, I was thinking, well, there's specific things I'm curious about and have been curious about. Okay. Even before I thought of you as Lorianne Doyle, the podcast <laughs> guest. Which I remember when I first met Lori because I'd only ever seen her name, Lorianne Doyle. I was like, do I call you Lori Ann or Lori? <laughs> everybody, everybody knows that. Poe yeah, yeah. did that. Um, it's kind of, you know, Lori Ann for the writing world and Lori for the rest of the world. Because there's the a writer named yeah. Laura, Laura Doyle who writes about how wives should be subservient to their husbands. Oh. And that's just not... Oh my God! I would Where love I'm it. Coming from. It would be so fun for you to write <laughs> yes. uh, her story as a story. Oh yeah, <laughs> like, we got confused. Yeah, oh, I like um, it. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, you don't want to get confused with her. So, some questions I've had, and and I'm actually glad that this has come out in in reviews of your book. Your relationship with this area, the, the Bay Area, seems super deep and super grounded and super important. Tell me a little bit about your family background. How long they've been here? You said you, you live in the same neighborhood as your mother and grandmother or the one they did live in before? Yeah, they did live in before. Mm-hmm. But you didn't grow up in that neighborhood. No, no. Um, well, it's very interesting because my grandparents, uh, my grandfather was Italian, my grandmother was Italian-Swiss, and they both came to Healdsburg to uh, become vintners. There was a lot of recruitment cool. at that point, and that was in, around the turn of the 19th century. And so, when my grandmother married, she turn married 20th century. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Late, late. late excuse me. Late 1800s. Thank you. 
That was going to be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> keeping us on, well, I'm on point. Yeah. Thank you. Not me so much. Uh, um, so when my grandmother married, she married um, a, a grocer, kind of a fancy grocer. There's the store still around Hillsburg Square, and they didn't get along that great. So when they were not getting along, she would take my mom and go to San Francisco. So my mom was living in San Francisco. My mom was born in 1913, so I'm thinking she was like 10, you know, so maybe the 20s. Oh, wow. and oh then, man, what she's seen. Yeah, and my grandmother just loved San Francisco, and she loved, you know, part of the issue is she was terrible with money, so she would go to Gump, she would go to Union Square, and she would just dump all her money. She wanted to be an opera singer, and... My poor mother, it was like, you know, oh my gosh, all this the is... money came to, to her. And she was very bohemian. And my mother always said, oh, she was a feminist before her time. And I'm like, yes, mom. Yes, grandma. <laughs> <laughs> Although I just want to point out that's a golden age of feminism. But at any rate. Good point. Yes. Good point. I'd love to talk more about that. But um, so, so there was always this feeling of... We went to so I was born in La La Break not La La Land but Bakersfield which Bakersfield. I which I had been. whoa how did you how get did there you get my dad oh your dad. dad my dad was working for Mobile Oil which was just which, Mobile Oil then so then we moved to SoCal but um, we would go up to visit you know my my grandmother and my aunt and they were both living in Oakland at that time so we would go across to San Francisco and. We would go to the merry-go-round, and we would go to. I remember when crab. Oh, this is really dating. I mean, crab cocktails were seventy-five cents. You know, I'm writing an essay about this right now about how place. In my book, place is as important as character. You can yes. really and feel plot. that, and very specific too. Like I knew you put that Undertaker in that mortuary in North Beach on Green Street, the Green Street Mortuary. Right. Very right. specific. Right. 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 But it was the. It was the setting details that drew me into the story. It was the mm-hmm. setting details that, in fact, illuminated the characters. The characters did not... I mean, a lot of people are like setting, you know... Did you think of the later. setting first and then the characters? That's what I'm saying. Okay. This explains, though, why your Central Valley, when the woman goes to meet the other mother... I haven't read that one yet. <laughs> oh, okay. At any rate, is it is it the Central Valley? No, Anyways. it's actually uh, Lake County, but oh. very similar. <laughs> but so, because I am kind of a moron of the geographic, uh, I, I just, in my mind, thought of it as a Central Valley, but, but it was beautifully observed in a way that was not... Um, the urbanite casting the pitying glance. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and so I liked that. Do you ever feel like when you're writing setting that you're reaching... F- is it hard to fully realize the setting as much as you see it in your head? No. You're able to do it? Uh, maybe it takes a few passes. Mm-hmm. But but it's like these setting details are calling to me. Mm-hmm. I don't feel that way about characters. I mean, characters like intrigue me, yeah. but place details are very kind of deep in my gut. And that place is here. Yeah. Do you set stories? But all in these the- different places. But and you- and it's never it's never a present t- it's I don't think it's ever a present time detail. The ones that call to me. It's always somewhere deep in the past. It's mm. a little bit like visible Invisible, invisible. Like they don't really fully be, realize themselves inside my head and body until many years have passed. Hmm. 
So the carousel, for example, in the first story, that odd music, I can remember that music. There's something mm-hmm. haunting about carousel. I mean, it's a happy sure. it's a happy sound, right? I mean, but I was excited. I loved, I wanted to go. I would get that wonderful pink popcorn. But, you know, there's also haunt, something haunting well, sure. about it. sure. Why wouldn't it? Because it becomes wistful over time because you can no longer go there. Yeah. And then you can, but you can't. Yeah, but there's also something sort of tinny about it and... I don't know. Yeah, why. it's not really music. Yeah, it's <laughs> odd. It's something very odd. And it's, all these tunes are. You Did know. you bring your son there? No, I have never. That's I mean, I take him to the. T- I have. T- he's eighteen now. But not not now. You don't take. Him. <laughs> I not would. Me <laughs> too. Um, no, because Tilden um, Park has a wonderful. Okay. Yeah. Um, also, uh, antique carousel. Uh, carousel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I. Yeah, I just think. I don't even use the word setting anymore. I use the words world. World. And that's part of your title. Yeah, it's interesting because it's like the world isn't missing for me when I write them, but for the people who are they're grappling with that, yeah. If I had grown up in San Francisco before, I don't know, the Saturdays, I would feel a profound sense of loss. (laughs) Because it's changed so much, and it was such a, I don't know, it seemed like a quieter place or a... More of a town? More of a town, yeah. I feel like that, even when I came here 20 years ago, it seemed like more of a town. But is that necessarily specific to this place or any place? I think all cities have that. I don't know. Um, You know, I live in Berkeley now. The the details that are calling to me are details of when I went to Cal. Mm -hmm. It's not like I'm looking outside the window and saying, oh, that oak tree is so gorgeous. I have to write about, you know, I have to put that in a story. It's like how Telegraph Avenue looked after it had been smashed, you know, because you know, the anarchists have been around a long time smashing windows. But, but there is something about distance that makes, I think, mm-hmm. it, a, a thing easier to write about. I mean, when yeah. I lived in New York, You're I wrote so about right. Montana. When I first came to California, I wrote about New York. Uh, there is. There Richard is Russo actually has a whole essay on how you can't. Like he was living in Tucson, he tried to write about Tucson, yeah. and then weird. it was when you know upstate New York. He realized he had to set the novel. He completely rewrote the novel. Oh, it was originally set in Tucson. Can you <laughs> Wait, imagine all Mohawk, of that? Mohawk Cafe, I think. Oh wow! But think about Joyce writing about Ireland from. Yes, that's Italy. another good point. Yeah. I think there. I think that he kind of stumbled on something that's really true for all of us. That it's. The things that we remember the most are not front, in front of us. Mm-hmm. I think that's really we true. Need, and you also see them more clearly <laughs> yeah. in your mind's eye when it's not in front of you, yeah, I yeah. think. Maybe. Although yeah. Hemingway said this weird thing, like, I would look outside, and if it was blue sky, then the story would have blue sky. And I was like, really? Oh, I've never heard that. So when you were, um, no segue at all, I'm just changing the No, subject. do it. Yeah. When Go you ahead, were uh, uh, in college, mm-hmm. did you envision yourself as a writer? Because you had a pretty big and weighty detour there <laughs> or well, was it a detour at all i don't know i have to confess that i i was this kind of closet poet you know and pretty bad at that and for years i've like said what a waste of time that was but i realized that it taught me a lot about subtext so i don't want to put it down as much um i thought that creative writing was kind of selfish like I, i've heard this from many people really i have mm-hmm Oh, God, I'm glad it wasn't just me. (laughs) But it makes me so sad because I so much believe that art 
is everything. (laughs) And art can change lives. Exactly. Nobody was out there saying, you know, in the streets of Berkeley or whatever, the Berkeley campus saying, oh, yeah, be an artist and, you know, you'll make people more empathetic or whatever. Right. Art can do. You know, you'll open up new worlds. They were saying, you'll save someone's heart and life. Yeah. Yeah. They're saying, you know, you got to. You got to change the world. You got to create a free clinic. You got to, you know. But those are good too. I just want to no, say, no, no, right? No, but I, of course, I spent twenty years like working right. on trying to make healthcare. But wait, you went to Cal. I thought you went to Yale. Yeah, I went to Cal undergrad and then I went to oh. Yale grad, okay. and that's where you studied public health. Yes, where I studied public health. And that's a good thing. But yeah. you must have been writing that whole time because I said to no, Larry, I "Oh my god, that makes me crazy." You were not writing that whole time. And I know you became, I know this from meetings, you became fluent in the way of corporate meetings. I know. <laughs> you know Lori runs a good meeting, you guys. And that's a rare skill. Because it's got to be like herding cats. Especially oh. around here. You know, it's really funny. It's, it is like writing in a way because it's just a feeling I have. Like, okay, we need to sort of morph over here. It's not like I'm... You know, Lori, they begin on time and they end on time. <laughs> but I, uh, yeah, That's but good. I'm telling you, it's Freaking a, amazing. it's a third, it's a, whatever, sixth sense at this point. Um, yeah, no, I really felt like I wanted to change the world through these external things, through these organizations, and even at Kaiser, which is kind of a corp- is a corporation. You know, I was really interested in in empowering patients to take care of themselves and to. Um, help them be less dependent on doctors, which Kaiser kind of liked because it's a you know package deal. Did someone just ring the doorbell? Probably. Or am I hearing things? No, there was a noise again. Was that the voice in my <laughs> you're head? Gonna, you're going to hear that like in 20 years. Uh-huh. Write a story about it. <laughs> okay, so the reason I'm upset to hear that you weren't writing for those 20 years is because that means you're a natural. It kind of bumps me out. So you're telling me. Let me just understand this correctly. You were kind of a closet poet. But pretty much you had, I mean, obviously a serious career completely outside of the literary world. You weren't trying your hand like many people do at writing on the side. You just had a full career and then decided to write and then wrote a bunch of really good short stories. Well, no, I I wrote some, let's see, what was this? Some crappy ones first. (laughs) I've written a lot of crappy ones that didn't make it into the book. I mean, you know. When did you start writing stories? Um... I, it was interesting. I so this was the late '80s. So I did start writing some feature stuff for the Express, mm-hmm. and then newspaper. Yeah, a great a great East indie Bay. newspaper, and yeah, East Bay, and kind of was really great under the um, editorship of John Rayside. It was kind of he wanted it to be the New Yorker of the Bay Area. Oh, that's so fantastic. we have local color. You know, there were profiles. It's it's a different. It's a great newspaper now, but it's a different newspaper. Um, so I just happened to be like living next door to him in my apartment building, and I, I I got laid off on my I was working at the AIDS Project, and I got laid off, and I went to Guatemala to learn Spanish, and and then I um, thought I really want to write about this, and he was just like I'd see him on the stairwell, and he'd say yeah yeah just keep writing, he'd give me little tips, beautiful, and then you know I finished it, and he like they published it. And then what happened was I wrote, and then I kind of hit a wall with nonfiction. I just hit this wall, and, and, just, and I put it aside again. You were just writing for them? I wrote for the Daily Cal. <laughs> I think I wrote, you know, just, yeah, little guys. 
but fun, really fun. I wrote about the Takahara sock. There's a sake factory in Berkeley. You know, just fun things like that. I'm trying to get my head around this, though. So this was just like your fun thing you did. You worked your nine to five. Are you getting angry? No, I was actually working. <laughs> I don't think I was working. I was working half time. So okay. I, but then, you but know. But you weren't thinking, potentially a career switch here. No. You're thinking, nope, I got that Yale Master's. I'm going to keep going. <laughs> I, better, I better use it or my parents will be pissed. No, what happened was I, uh, the truth is I had a fight with my supervisor. This is in the 90s. No, this is in the early 2000s. And I had a fight with my supervisor and I said, and my husband said, well, why don't you just go to this uh, information meeting at USF, you know, MFA. <laughs> Go. He thought, so, I'm beating my head on the wall. That's crazy. You can't hear it because there's foam on the wall. But, and then, is in fact you know, and the then the I, I had fallen in love with short stories then because um, someone had given me Alice Munro's oh. The Moons of Juniper, Jupiter. And then I discovered the best of American short stories. Uh, and The Bible. Yeah, and then I would take I would take the like I would love to go to hot springs and I would just go to these hot springs and then I would bring my I would go alone and then I would bring my book and I would have my friends you know my my short stories would be right there with me. What? And I'm, then I thought. I'm sorry to interrupt, but what kind of a reader had you been before that? Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I, this is one of the reasons I left Kaiser. I, I kept, you know, the hours kept getting upped, right. and it's hard to say no. And if you say no, that has consequences. So um, I really, I think I stopped reading. I that really happens did. to a lot of people. Or maybe mm-hmm. I read a little bit, you know. Um, but so maybe that's why short stories kind of helped because you. I love short stories. It's not that I don't love novels, but I was realizing that one thing I love about short stories is that you can hold it in your head. You can hold all of that in your head. You cannot hold a novel in your head. And so there's so much pleasure that comes from that. Whereas when I read a novel, you know, I love like Rachel Cuss' Transit. I just read it. You know, you're you're sort of struggling every time you open the book again. You're saying, "Okay, where are we? You have to get reoriented." So this thing about you know that you can take it in somehow in a one setting sitting, although I'm not sure that's true of every short story, but um, is really cool. And so I thought, yeah, it was pretty weird. I thought, oh, I'm going to write fiction, but I had never written a word of fiction when I got into the MFA program. I hadn't written one word of fiction. How'd you get in? That is just oh, insane. Well, I had a memoir piece that I sort of like said, oh, this is fiction, but it wasn't fiction. And then I had my clips from the East Bay. So wait, Express. so you apply to USF oh, and decide, I'm going to spend $30,000, I'm making up a number, <laughs> no, on, right. on uh, an MFA <laughs> in writing. I haven't actually done it before, but I might like it. Well, I thought, I'm getting older. Yeah. This has always been calling to me. I want so to it has do been. It. it had been called. Yeah, to. not that I've been acting. On yeah, yeah, yeah. It. But still, that is amazing. Yeah, and then yeah, there were a lot of sleepless nights. I always like, can I go last in workshop? Can I go last? I needed like all those weeks to like yeah. make something up. But um, yeah, so so that's kind of how it happened. And then and then I w- at Kaiser, I was working half time, and that was good. And then I decided to just leave it. I took the leap. And I just said, I'm going to... How scary was that? Uh, well, I, we, my husband and I had a long talk. <laughs> like, okay, are you cool with this? I had saved up a lot of money. I mean, I actually had been saving up a lot of money while I was working at Kaiser. Um, and my husband was cool with it. And so I'm, I was lucky in that way. And that's really true, I think, of a lot of writing families is that 
somebody is supporting somebody else. But um, it's a subject we've been dancing around for thirty three episodes now. I mean, oh, well, uh, we, I mean, we, it's almost the exact same story. Yeah. Like my husband and I sat down, and I just, you know, can I do this? Can we do this? Can we go forward doing it this way? And took a risk. It was scary, really scary. Yeah, yeah. It it it, it was scary, but the thing that was really weird about it was that. As hard as writing is, and it was, it is so much harder than working at Kaiser Permanente or working in any organization I've ever worked at. Um, it feels really satisfying. Like it feels like home. Beautiful. Yeah. I've been thinking about that a lot lately because I'm quite a workaholic. Like I notice I work all the time and on the weekends and in the evening. And I realized I do it because I love it. Like, I want to be doing it all the time. And that's so fantastic. Like, how yeah. lucky. I feel really lucky because I could have gone out like, oh, yeah, I hate my job, but I made a lot of money. Right. And right. You know, I'm going to hold on for the retirement benefits or whatever it is, right? <laughs> Which, yeah. you know, we talk about it like it's the most absurd thing, but it's what most people do. Oh, and, I mean, I... I You're I, absolutely right. I, I wanted I to quit. it for half of my life. Exactly. So who am I to judge? You were probably ready to do it for your whole life. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, oh, well, I mean, it are. took me two years to leave my job because I kept saying to myself, why would I... Stop? Like, that would be crazy. It would be crazy to leave my job. And it was crazy, but I'm so happy. Yeah, but I think... You know, I think we have to, re- well, I don't know. I think I have to remember that there are things that Kaiser gave me that are really helpful in writing. Like Absolutely. This thing about goal setting, I'm a real big, big believer in goal setting. Like I set a goal, like I'm going to finish a story by a certain time. Now I don't always make it, but somehow my subconscious is working. Mm-hmm. And often I do, like mm-hmm. within a couple of days. That's really important. Is there anything you miss about that lifestyle? Um... I kind of miss my pals. I had some pals yeah. there that I would see at work. And, and you know, Eleanor Vincent, who is at the Grotto, yeah. it's like she and I had mirror careers. I was oh, going to really? say, I, I thought there was somebody else who had done that. She, That's But right. she was a writer. I mean, she yeah. was working in communications, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so how many years um, between the MFA and coming to the Grotto? Because that's a hard, like, what's great about the Grotto is having a community and having people yeah. you work with. Like, you and me and Larry work together. Yeah, I know. Hey, Yay. Well. Um, how many years was between those two things? Um, I graduated in 2007. It's a long time. About seven years. Yeah. So, so, I don't know, so it's another true confession. The book took ten years. <laughs> I know. Oh, that's success. how long it takes, man. <laughs> I know. That first day when you sat down at your desk at home and said, all right, time to write a short story because I'm not going to work. How'd that feel? Um, well, because I was in school. That's good, yeah. Uh, it, it was kind of like I was... But school ended eventually. Oh, you mean leaving my MFA program? Yeah, it was really, really a hard, hard, hard transition. Because when you got that MFA kind of kind of bridge, you got new pals. Right. You know that you can hang you out with... You said Bridget. What's that? You said Bridget. I did. No, Bridge it. Oh, Bridget, yeah. <laughs> Not by That's mistake. Her. This is the kind of thing cleverly. people don't like about the Grotto Pod. The Grotto Pod is a very professional gathering of writers. And corny. <laughs> so so yeah. Um, fortunately, we haven't gotten scatological in quite a while. <laughs> and by we, I mean her. Um, but you had. You a, have to listen to the Vanessa. You know, you had a group <laughs> of people to hang with that could sort of mirror the experience of going to work every day. But then it ends, and there you yeah. are, and you're faced with that most terrifying of prospects for a writer. Yeah. 
You're so right. I had a That's when goal horrible, setting is everything. No, but I had a horrible, horrible knot in my stomach for, for months. And I think what really helped was I thought I didn't leave Kaiser for nothing. It was like mm-hmm. I yes. got st- yeah. stubborn. Like, I've got to do this. And, you know, I'm very, I'm like the third of fourth the third or fourth four kids and I, I've always been kind of stubborn and I persevere and you know um, that all was really important f- for this but um, it was huge it was like falling off a cl- so the transition from Kaiser to MFA was smooth a little easier the transition from MFA to real life was horrible now it, I did get a job interestingly enough teaching because I had been a trainer at Kaiser and that really helped me mm-hmm. because I had to say okay you, you know you got to show up in front of your students you got to act like you right. know what you're talking about but early on you know right right, right. after MFA well, I was it was fumbling were, in the dark you were beholden to a schedule of sort I found sometimes the problem yeah. can be and we've talked about this before that you can have your day in front of you and you can start substituting errands and chores for right. work like how was your day? It was great. I went grocery shopping. I did three <laughs> loads of laundry. I got a lot done. I that that right there is why I had to come into the grotto. Uh-huh. Was that I quit my job? I spent a year at home. Saw Diana Cap on the side of the soccer field one day. And was like, <laughs> I'm begging you to help me. I cannot oh. keep working from home because I just became a housewife. Yeah. Well, I now have my little nests. I have two nests. Like one is on Same. the bed. And when I'm on the bed, that's associated, you know, not in the night, but like in the morning, you Mm -hmm. know, and I've got my books around me. That's associated with writing. So it's kind of a support. That took a long time to to do. And then also, um, you know, my desk, although my desk is in our bedroom, which is sort of a bummer. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you this. Do you think you're, do you think if you had tried writing right out of the chute that you would have been as disciplined as you are now? I don't think I could have written out of the shoot. I admire, you know, I teach students who are really gifted in their 20s, just so gifted. And I admire that. But I I needed to kind of season. Mm-hmm. I needed to age. And I think it's I still have to fight being self-conscious, like wanting to sound so good <laughs> to the world. And I'm doing that, trying to do that less and less. Because I think what I've found is that, first of all, people pick that up that you're mm. just trying to kind of show off, even if you're doing it subtly. And then also um, I found that, like, taking a risk, like doing these weird things that I never would have done before has has all, usually pays off. You mean weird things in your writing or weird things in life? In, well, <laughs> <laughs> Are they the one in the right. same? Well, kind of this leaving Kaiser for the MFA was podcast. a little weird. But <laughs> I assume when you said that you were talking in part about doing things like starting Babylon Salon. Yeah, so did you, you were one of the people who started it, right? Yeah. So where um, did you come up with this But idea? let me just say that yeah. uh, in my writing is what I was talking okay. about. Okay. Like writing about visualizing my heart, like, you know, right out on the table. Mm-hmm. You know, like I would have, I would have censored that. Or, I mean, uh, that story, Lilacs and Formaldehyde, I loved how wild it was, (laughs) you know? (laughs) That was such a fun story. And that That was the last story. Well, I I believe that, especially because it just had the feeling of, I am in total control of this universe. (laughs) I really liked it. 
It reminded me of a lot of stories. Don't I, like I, re- I rewrote that ending like, oh. I kept saying, oh, I've rewritten it 10 times. Oh, I've rewritten it 20. <laughs> oh, like infinite. But I think that's a really good phrase to use, total control of the universe. Because that was one thing I just love about these stories is your steady hand. Like, mm-hmm. oh, good, someone's in charge here. Right. And wow. they know what they're that, doing. That feels good. I agree. <laughs> and this is unspooling at the correct you know, pace. pace. Mm-hmm. Uh. And huh. nothing feels rushed, and yeah, I really like them. But I do so want to much. talk about Babylon Salon. Yes, when did, when did you start that? So um, Babylon Salon started in 2007. I was actually the first reader, and this guy, actually we had two Tims in our class, Tim Crandall and Tim Reen. Cool guys, um, neither of whom I think, well, I don't know if they're writing now. One is making documentary films, the other is doing a lot of lawyering. But um he has a novel, I think, working on it. Um, anyway, so then it was like he they knew that the community of the MFA was going to disappear. Mm-hmm. So the idea of Babylon Salon was to provide a platform for emerging writers and obviously have a lot of great names, too. And what was really amazing was we started asking people that, Actually, it was Tim. I want to give Tim Crandall credit. We want. We started asking people who I never would have asked, like Kate Braverman, mm-hmm. you know. And she said yes. And then we realized, wow, just we can, ask. We can, can just, just ask, ask anybody. Yeah. And that's because really been our motto. You today. really have had some big, big writers. Yeah. Oh, I feel so lucky. Yeah, Steve Almond and Daniel Alarcon and, you know, Who has just been longlisted for the National Book Award, I believe. <gasps> Alarcon? I think so, yeah. Oh, his ri- he, I'm sorry you guys weren't there at the Babylon. Yeah. We were just spellbound. Yeah. I mean, He's he amazing. just had us, really? all of us in the palm of He's amazing. Me. And how far did, did has Babylon Salon gone or went to sort of integrating you into the greater writing community, making you a known entity? Um... It's it's helped. It's been great for me. First of all, when I go to writings, I get really inspired. Like, I'm always scribbling on some mm-hmm. scrap of paper because I just love the way... I don't know. There is something about that atmosphere that, that just gets you... That's why it. everyone should go and be part of their writing community wherever it is, whatever's happening. <laughs> it's happening somewhere. Go be part of it. And speaking of atmosphere, i got to say, I've only been to a couple of Babylon salons, but they're a little more lively <laughs> than some other readings I've gone to, and I appreciate that. Well... We want to make it more like a party. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it isn't a bar, but I don't think people are loaded. Why. I don't get the feeling that people are loaded, but I think there's a sense that we're celebrating. We're celebrating the work, um, That's and so it's, nice. it's weird because it starts always starts out a little cold, and then by the end of the night. Like, it's kind of a hug fest. <laughs> Although I'm a big hugger. <laughs> okay, I'm going to ask you a super sensitive question. Uh-oh, another okay. one. Did I already ask one? Well, you said you don't like short stories. Oh, I didn't say I don't like them. I don't, I'm not drawn to them. I might have said that. I didn't say that. Shoot. Um, okay, so you are heading up a reading series. You're meeting lots of writers. You have a book coming out. Does it make it easier to ask for blurbs? Uh, yeah. I would think so. It does. Right? Because you have a little bit of a connection to someone, You have, and you have their email. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, it's... But but I never asked for a blurb from a writer that I didn't love. Oh, so for sure. So the connection... Yeah. You know, I was able to build that connection from Babylon Salon, but... Because you have great blurbs. <laughs> you have good blurbs. Yeah. yeah. Well, I want to sing the praises of Eden Lepucky. I, I mean, know. What an amazing person. She... Right? You know, we caught her at right after... No, we caught her 
kind of on the tail end of the Colbert mm-hmm. kind of miracle. And then also Peter Orner. It was like yeah. I, I read Esther stories like somebody in my MFA program recommended to me. I was completely swept away. Uh, boy, if I could have copied him, I would have. Yeah. Of course, you yeah. can't. It's so new, His style is so new, unique. But we had him read when he. it was before his novel came out. Mm-hmm. I think it's called Love and Shame and Love. Um, and so I think he felt great, grateful for that. Because like, every writer's life is kind of right. mm-hmm. undulating. So, you know, we caught him when um, it was great for him to have that audience. And, like, we had him at Lit Crawl. I swear, I was looking over his shoulder. I'm looking over. He's, like, wrote the story. For While waiting to go on? No. But, I mean, seriously, it was, like, blue pen very few cross outs I was like oh my gosh this kind of thing <laughs> that intimidated awesome. me That's sometimes half my page is cross outs kind of rock star move um, you know what let's assume that some of our listeners are not writers who have published books okay can you guys demystify the blurb process a little bit for us I have no blurbs you have no blurbs Mm-mm. someone blurbs your book have they read the book um, or a little bit yes I would think so yes if you're going to blurb a book you need to commit the time to reading, not maybe every single word, but of most of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, you don't want your name on something that... Right. Yeah. I right. think I think people almost always read the book. Um, and every person I asked for a blurb, um, I believe, read the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what you do is, I think what you do is you think about writers you love. You think about writers that have inspired you. You think about writers you want a, more of a connection with. And instead of writing them like a fake letter, like, oh, I think you're so great, you know, you write them like I would, I've just finished a novel or a story or a memoir and I was so inspired by X, you know, be really specific and say I would just be very honored if you could um, consider this for a blurb. And, you know, a blurb is actually like a, it's a word, it's a jargonish word, mm-hmm. so everybody knows what that means. Mm-hmm. I like a blurb before my writer life, I have no idea. It's a pretty silly word. It's a silly word. It's is. kind of a demeaning word. I was going to say it yeah. does sound a little demeaning when you say, when now I hear it. Yeah, it sounds you said like something blurb. That popped out that you didn't mean to say. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so not, yeah. it's not very dignified. And then one was a professor, Catherine Brady. Uh, was my professor and actually Nightish. Well, no, I didn't take any classes from Nightish Schiller, but I knew her from. Mm-hmm. And didn't Josh also? Josh did, yeah. Yeah, I, I had taken classes from Josh, and so he oh, had yeah. seen some of the Josh Moore. So I took classes. Another true confession: I took classes after my MFA because I'm, I'm an extrovert. I mean, it's so. How do you do that? You just take them. You mean at USF? They let you? No. Oh, just uh, in general. Okay, just I get it. Writing I get it. Yeah. Uh, or you could take classes here at the San Francisco right. Writers Grotto. I have people who have MFAs in my classes. Here. Oh, for sure. I've taken Josh's classes here. I yeah. don't have an MFA, but still. Yeah. yeah. No, but I mean, some, mostly we don't talk about it because why? It's not relevant. Yeah. But then sometimes it comes out afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, so Josh had seen some of these stories in their early stages, but I, when I asked him if he'd write a blurb, he actually offered, which was really sweet. Oh, that's, he's a nice guy. You man. know. In the kitchen at the grotto. Um, mm-hmm. But then he wanted to see the manuscript. It wasn't like he was going to just right. Right. sleepwalk through stamp. this. I like you, so I'm going to write a blurb. Yeah, no, he read it, and he wrote me a nice note back. And his his little we have a little snippet of his what he said on the, on the cover. And by the way, lost in that whole exchange, after explaining the entire blurb process and how difficult it can be, at the grotto, you can just run into someone at the kitchen. <laughs> well... 
I know. I mean, I, I, did send a, I, won't, I won't say it is, but I did send a letter, which I think was probably my least developed connection and never heard back just mm-hmm. to a writer who I really love, a short mm-hmm. or who has a collection out. I would so, assume that happens. I mean, a lot. I have yeah. also I've heard from a lot of writers here who get hit up for, for blurbs a lot that it is a lot. Like they just feel like it's too much. Well, and Josh, so, understandable, you know. Yeah, he says I set aside time for ten books a year. I mean, a lot, that's how some people do it. They just give a certain. But that's mm-hmm. that's wonderful. I think that's such a yeah. nice way of being in the community. <clears throat> well, let's talk a little bit about the book and, and kind of what has happened to you since it was, when was it released or has it oh, been released? like two weeks, right? Or three yeah, weeks? Yeah, it's going to be released okay. October 5th. Although we don't know when this is coming out, do we? Uh, yeah, it's coming out next week. Oh. So, so we'll, this will air before, so you can actually, the reason why, I'm, I know you need to leave at 2.15. <laughs> so we got <laughs> just a few more minutes left and I wanted to give you a chance to kind of... I don't want to artificially cut it off. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's what I'm preventing right now. <laughs> Maybe you're managing the meeting well. <laughs> yes. Secret talent. Um, I want to get an, a sense of, of how you're going to be promoting it and what is expected of you. And, I mean, this is all brand new for you, so how it kind of feels to be kind of thrown into the what might be a mini, mini maelstrom, but still a maelstrom. Um, well, I did promotion for Babylon Salon or have done it so that has helped I know some of the venues mm-hmm. um, it's a lot of it grows out of community you know like Marion who's the co-owner of um, Mrs. Dalloway's lives in my neighborhood um, and I go to Mrs. Dalloway's all the time hello that's the point right there you <laughs> yeah. go to your local bookstore I mean, my husband is a really avid reader yeah so none of these are these are not new connections um, not cold calling people it is a little it is overwhelming it is mm-hmm. I mean I have no connections with the radio world you know I um, I don't know about reviews you know I'm just sort of feeling my way along and trying to trying to stay honest to who I am mm-hmm. I've been thrilled with the response so far I've I been know completely thrilled I mean, it's already exceeded my expectations. That's I was going to so say fantastic. what's best-case scenario for you, but I guess it's already exceeded best-case scenario. <laughs> well, you know, I want to sell a lot of books. <laughs> you know, the things that most you want Stephen Colbert to read. And this is, the place, this is the time and the place to say that it's called... A World Gone Missing. A World oh, Gone Missing. Excuse me. No, no article. Man, I debated over oh, that. Oh, man. That's why I didn't want to say it because no I knew it was slightly. World Gone Missing. World Gone Missing, Lori Ann Doyle. And if this does come out before the book is out, which sounds like it is going mm-hmm. to, pre orders are everything in the book world. So if you are interested in this book, pre order it. And or go to your it, bookstore and ask them to pre order it. Yeah, you can get it on IndieBound, Amazon. You can get it at my, my publisher's um, website, Regal House Publishing. She'll love it that I'm plugging. Yeah, Regal House. And since this is coming out before the book publishes, why don't you uh, tell us? I know you have at least two dates coming up. Right. Coming up. Yeah. Launch dates. So both of them are celebrations. Mm-hmm. You know, they really are. Um, it does feel like a community. So we're celebrating all of it. And the first one is Thursday, Thursday, October 5th at Mrs. Dalloway's at 730. Uh, Mrs. Dalloway's is in Berkeley on a college near Ashby. It's a free event. Of course, we hope people will buy a book. And then there's another event on um, Wednesday, October 25th at Green Apple Books on the Park. Such a great spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've never... 
Oh, you're going to love it. I've been to Green Apples on Clement, but yep. never on the park. It's so good. Um, and then, you know, there'll be some lit crawl things. And I'm doing a lot of, like, reading <laughs> Lit crawl things. Lori is reading as part of the Grotto's Grotto Pod Lit Crawl yeah. Grotto event. How many times can you say Grotto in one sentence? Well, no, because one's the Grotto, one's Grotto Pod. <laughs> oh, okay. Those are two different things. I think of them as inseparable. They're like nesting dolls. <laughs> She's a wordsmith. You can't argue with the wordsmith. <laughs> and you just can't argue with me because I'll just keep going. <laughs> good thing. That's a good thing. But yeah, Lori's going to be reading. It's going to be fantastic. That Larry will be and October I. October 14th. We'll be emceeing. Correct. And we are going to be at a public space. Yes, at uh, 5 p.m., at which phase, is well, on the early side. And that's great. Come out early. Where are we going to D- be? A public, uh, public space. Yep, oh, okay. public space. It's called a public um, space. Second in the floor. mission, I think. In the mission, That's second floor. Some random public space. I don't have the address. But you know what you <laughs> can do? That's the name of the bar. You can go to the Liquid website and look her up. Good point. Liquid.com, is that it? Probably, but you know what else here. you could do? You could just follow the Grotto Pod if on you, Twitter if and you, find out there. true. If you Google Lit Crawl 2017, you'll find it. Yep. Well said. Well said. Well, Lorianne Doyle. Yes, Larry. I don't know your name. What's your middle name? Oh, that's my secret. Oh, no, we must know. Is your name Lawrence? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Lawrence. Lawrence Rosen. Rosen. Eric. Lawrence oh, Eric, Eric Rosen. Attorney at law. That was supposed to be my full name. Elia. According to your parents. Yeah. Oh, well. And um, Bridget, I don't know your last name. I, um, oh, you don't know my last name? Quinn. No, no. Oh, I'm my middle name. name. I don't use my middle name. Oh. It starts with J. Jehoshaphat. And that makes my Jumping. initials Genevieve? when they're not BJ. Okay. <laughs> BJ. Well, now we've got anyway. it. Now we've got a few <laughs> listeners who aren't disgusted by our professionalism that we still have. They're gone. <clears throat> so now it's probably a good time. No, they're not. <laughs> they're loving it. They're loving it. Larry, everyone but you likes everyone BJ. Everyone should like write comments about what their initials are. Whether they love them or hate them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because you have to be careful. I've heard that that can actually impact the way a person lives their life. Really? If they use their middle name or not? No, their initials. Oh. Like my oh, yeah, friend, yeah, yeah. Fred Luna, whose son is I've Nathaniel Isaac. Yeah. His kid might grow up to be nothing. We don't know. Because it's nil? Yeah. Oh. Um, I have a friend. Lad. I, I have a friend who's <laughs> the head of the Jewish Museum in New York, and his yeah. initials spelled Jew. Ooh. That's a little spot on. <laughs> Lori, how can they get a hold of you? What's your website? What's your Twitter, etc.? Um, I have a new website, which I really love. It's www.loriandoyle.com. Uh, and you can contact me. You can check out, you can read an excerpt of the book. Ooh. Great. A uh, cool story called Or Best Offer. Woman Love it. With a shaved head. Oh, that is a good one. <laughs> Union Square. Larry likes that one. Victory statue. <laughs> anyway, um, and let's see. Yeah, you can email me there too. Twitter. You uh, do the Twitter. Twitter is at Lorianne Doyle. She does the Twitter. She does the Twitter. And you know what? If you're interested in little writing tips, Lori tweets about those. Oh yeah, I have a Facebook author page. Mm-hmm. I've been working for that's where I'm well out of my relentless. Newfangled technologies. <laughs> Facebook. It's a pain. In yeah, me. I know it's a lot. Uh, what says you, uh, BQ? BQ, not BJ. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so easily amused. Okay. <laughs> you better just. Stop. I'll talk. Here's how you can get a hold of me. Uh, I'm on Twitter at that Larry Rosen. Also the uh, Instagram as well. Uh, I do have another podcast called Is It Good for the Jews? You can find that at isitgoodforthejews.com. And you can find me at bequintrust.com. 
on Instagram and Twitter or at BridgetQuinnAuthor.com. And as for us here, you can find us at The Grotto Pod on Twitter or grottopod.com. Hey, Bridget, who are our producers? Oh, Larry, I want to thank our amazing producers <laughs> who we are so grateful to. Lori Ann Doyle. Hey! <laughs> Beth Weingarner. Yeah. Lee Kravitz. Yay! And I'd also like to sh- uh, thank Sugartown for the music awesome music. by Sugartown. As long as you got the mic, why don't you just take us out? All right. I want to tell everybody, listen close. Read. Write. Just keep working. <laughs> <laughs>